Today we're in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. The question, who is the master of the storm? The book of Psalms is the place we go to to hear the poet speak directly to God without holding back any punches. The psalmist is the direct, in-your-face poet singer who calls on God to wake up in his chaotic storm world of his day. For example, in Psalm 7, verse 6, he says, Awake, my God, decree justice. In Psalm 35, verses 22 to 23, he says, Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me. Lord, awake and rise to my defense. In Psalm 44, verse 23 to 24, he says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? In other words, God, are you here? God, are you sleeping? Which begs the question, is God really asleep while we suffer? As we're blown by the winds and waves of our day and the constant change that we encounter Tom note, notes, Tom Wright notes, that is, faith in God, whom we believe at one level to be all-seeing, never sleeping, omnipotent, and omnipresent, but who at another level seems, from the perspective of our muddied and messy lives, have gone to sleep on the job. Is that what we believe, that God's gone to sleep on the job? Does he work for humanity? What type of rationality have we come to? Is it not true that during this current storm season of a pandemic, race relation, protests, war, polarized pol politics, uh, unstable economies, that many from the faith community itself have cried out, wake up, God, where are you? Are you asleep? Have we failed to realize, my friends, that storms are a part of life which no one escapes. And living on the island, we should know that. But even in everyday human storms that we encounter, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, the betrayal of a friend, they're all real and they're all tough. When we come to the Gospel of Mark from the genesis of the early church, this story found in chapter 4 about a storm they had to see with Jesus on board has been a great source of strength and comfort for the church. The church was being persecuted by the powers that be of that day, the Roman Empire and the Jewish establishment. The early believers turned to this story for consolation in their real-life storm in the world. The only thing left for them to do was to call on the Name of the Lord, wake up, God. Do you care? This chaotic storm is about to swallow us up alive. You know what? God heard their cries. God consoled them. And you know what else? God hears our cries. They were comforted by this story because this story tells them that God is with us in the storm, not outside of the storm, but in the storm, God in Christ Jesus is with us. Let me ask you a few, few more questions at this time. How many times have you felt caught up in a wild storm and wondered if God was asleep? Have you ever cried out, do you care, Lord? 
brings us to our text today. The night of departure, verses 35 and 36. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So Mark tells us it's evening time. And what does that mean? It means that at night, when the laborer has finished his work, he makes his way home. He goes home to be with his family. Mark places the story at the end of a day in which Jesus laboriously taught parables. The parables left his disciples with questions rather than with answers. And that was Jesus' intent, to let the disciples and the crowds figure out the answers for themselves. What does it mean? Even though he fully explained the parable of the sower. All day Jesus was in a boat teaching them eternal truths through the means of storytelling. It's night and Jesus is tired, hence he's still in the boat just as he was, as the scripture declares. No wonder Jesus is exhausted, rocking back and forth and back and forth as he's teaching the crowd at the seashore. It is Jesus that decides to go over to the other side. Mark mentions no reason for this decision. Perhaps Jesus simply wanted to escape from the crowds for a little while and renew his strength. But what's on the other side? Explorers ask that question. Prisoners behind bars ask that question. People in poverty-stricken countries ask that question. The poor ask the same question of the rich and so on and so on. Why the other side? What intrigues humanity about what is on the other side? What's the curiosity all about? See, this was not a diversion concocted by his followers to have some special time with their leader and to get away from the pressures of the crowds. This is Jesus' idea. He wants them to go to the other side and the disciples followed him to the other side. They went with him. Mark also mentions that there are other boats. They're not alone traveling along the sea. The other boats are with them. So when they encountered a storm, the other boats also encountered the storms and they were caught up in the storm and they were tossed by the waves and in danger of being swamped just like their own boat with Jesus in it. So they departed in the night and then all of a sudden they encountered. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? One commentator notes that about this, the geography of the Sea of Galilee, that it was known for sudden violent storms to arise. It's situated in a basin surrounded by mountains, though at night and in the early morning the sea is usually calm. When the storms come at those times, they are all the more treacherous. The storm is described as a furious squall that was driving the waves into the boat so that it was being swamped and the passengers were in danger of drowning. The word that Mark uses is a mega whirlwind. <laughs> 
And water we know throughout scripture as an unpredictable element and we know by living in Prince Edward Island the truth of that is contained in water as an unpredictable element. But in the ancient world, in the times of Jesus and before, in the history of Israel, the sea symbolized the dark power of evil, threatening to destroy God's good creation. It's from that world of chaos and water that God created in the beginning of Genesis. The sea symbolizes that force of evil that threatens God's people, that threatens God's purposes. In books like Daniel, the sea is also where monsters come from. So to be caught in a storm was a scary place to be, even for experienced fishermen. In the midst of a frightful squall with experienced fishermen on board, Mark makes the point that Jesus is sleeping. (laughs) How could Jesus sleep in a storm while his disciples are frightened to death? What's going on here? Is Jesus sleep revealing his own trust in God, that God will take care of him? Or is he simply exhausted from a day of teaching? Could it be that Mark is contrasting the trust of Jesus in God and life against the panic of the disciples during the furious squaw? Is the Lord playing games with his disciples? I don't think so. It's a moment of trust. It's a moment of reassuring them what he just taught them. Like in the parable of the mustard seed about the non-anxious farmer. He waits. And there is Jesus sleeping as a visible manifestation and sign of the parable that they were just taught. And they don't get it. Jesus' non-anxious presence in the midst of a storm. Boy, could we use some of that during this COVID season. Yes, Jesus sleeps because he's tired. And yes, Jesus sleeps because he's confident in his Father. Someone said the panic of the disciples shows that they have not yet reached a point of profound trust, though they receive special instructions from Jesus himself. They still don't get it. They still don't understand the non-anxious presence of God in Christ Jesus in their midst. Trust was at the heart of the teaching of Jesus. And then we have the night God's voice was heard. (coughs) Jesus gets up immediately, rebukes the wind, and commands the winds to be still, employing the same word he used for the demons to be quiet, to shut up in Mark chapter 1. Remember that scene? After he calms the sea, First he takes care of the storm, and then he gently turns to the disciples with these words, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? He rebukes the disciples along with the winds and the waves. Don't they realize who's on board with them? I don't think so. We do, because we're reading the text. It seems that their panic in the storm manifested that they had not yet reached a point of profound trust, even though they had Jesus as their teacher and companion. Did the calming of the storm really happen? I believe it did. Do winds and waves respond to a human voice? This is not any ordinary human voice. It's the same voice that called the universe to existence in Genesis chapter 1. It is the same voice that called humanity into existence. 
in the book of Genesis, making us in the image of God. It is the same voice that called Abraham out from his land and promised him a glorious future that would not only bless his family, but bless all of the nations of the world, all of humanity. It's the same voice that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. It's the same voice that called Isaiah into prophetic ministry. It's the same voice that called a friend that was dead for three days called Lazarus from beyond the grave and said, Lazarus, come out. He called that which was dead to become life. It's the voice of God himself the living Lord of all creation who created all things by speaking those very things into existence by his voice. Have the disciples learned nothing yet from being with Jesus and seeing the power of God at work in him and through him? Jesus has not only power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, he has powers to control the winds and waves. He has power to control the natural world of nature. It is that voice that causes these frightened disciples to say, who's this guy? Now they're more scared and frightened than they were in the midst of the furious wall. Who's this guy anyway? Though the Jewish people believed in the Messiah, they did not know if it was going to be God himself attired in human flesh. There's no way that they would believe in a God dressed in human flesh, adored with humanity. So who is this guy that the winds and the waves obey? To see Jesus controlling nature has added a dimension to their perspective on who Jesus is. See, the first testament, the Hebrew Bible, declares that God alone has power to control the elements of nature. Even the other ancient Near East gods believed that only the gods can control the winds and the air and the water and the fire. But the Israelite God was one God. And now that one God who can control the elements of nature is found in this person of Jesus who speaks and the winds cease, and the waves calm. Who is this guy? There's a shift from saying to doing. We need to move from talking about Jesus to doing the things of Jesus. So Jesus rescues the disciples from a horrific storm, but it's not only them who are rescued, but the people in the other boats. Remember the other boats that went with them who suffered in the storm as well? They got the great benefit of the great calm as well. They seen what was happening. They were a testimony to what Jesus was doing with his disciples. God's blessings has a way of overflowing to others. When we shift from saying to doing, from hearing to believing, there's a shift also from theory in the classroom to trust in the real life storm. We are what we are witnessing here is something which says in concrete terms what the parables earlier in the chapter were saying in word pictures. God's sovereign power is being unleashed. That is, God's kingdom is at hand. Can you see it? Can you perceive it? Can you taste it? Can you handle it? This all goes back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same power that made the world in the first place. And this power is now alive in this fellow called Jesus Christ. 
and it's working through him. Tom Wright comments here, Jesus assumes the role of God's agent in defeating the forces of chaos. He isn't a Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah running away from God's commandment so the disciples don't have to throw Jesus overboard. He is doing exactly what the living God wants. The forces of evil are roused, angry, and threatening. But Jesus is so confident in the storm, in the midst of that evil pursuit against him, and assault against him, of God's presence and power, that he simply falls asleep on a pillow. Boy, wouldn't you like to be like Jesus? Jesus knows who he is and knows who to trust. He's confident in that. Disciples really had a bad attitude in this narrative. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Of course he cares. He answers with that rebuke, why are you so afraid? And then he said those words, these words. Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? These words set up which will follow in Mark's gospel. The healing of a possessed man, the raising of a dead girl, the healing of a sick woman. All signs that the kingdom of God is where? It's at hand. It's here. God's in our midst. God's in the midst of our storm. The storm of a demon-possessed world. The storm of a, of a dead girl that needs to be raised. The storm of a sick woman that needs to be healed. God is here and can bring healing and wholeness to our lives. This is something we know as readers and we have the privilege because we're reading the text from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Something that the disciples needed to learn and we also need to learn as we implement this, as we shift from words to deeds to worshiping this God. Who is this? This is the God of glory in our midst. With Jesus, we enter into a world of new possibilities. With Jesus in a boat, we have nothing to fear, for even the mega storms bow to him. He changes everything. As someone said, so far in Mark, the disciples have heard their calling. They have followed Jesus. They sat in his classroom. Now they must learn through this storm experience that the gates of hell cannot prevail against them. And so do we. So who Jesus is can only be grasped in what Jesus does. He is the Son of God. And he commands the elements of this world to be still in his presence. Maybe it's not God who needs to be woken up, but us. Have we forgotten that Christ's presence is with us? Jesus is embodying what he teaches. Jesus is embodying what he believes, confidence in God. As Tom Wright says in closing, our wake-up call is often the moment when God's wake-up call to us finally gets through. When the winds and the waves cease and retreat and calmness comes, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and we say, who is this God? Who is this man? He is the son of the living God. He is God in human flesh. Where is this man? This man, this God, he is with us. Jesus' confidence can be your confidence, my friends, in the storms of life. Would you surrender 
to his peaceful invitations. Be still and know that he is God and he is alive and he is awake. God bless you.